Today we're going to uh, study the story of Zacchaeus. And it's a bit of a, a children's story, really, one that we heard of in nursery school. And uh, it's mostly to do with the stature of, uh, of Zacchaeus, because he was reputedly a short man. And for those of you over five foot ten, don't switch off. It's just as relevant. Uh, but for somebody who thought he was five foot eight and then got measured recently and found he isn't, then it's very relevant. Uh, but it's relevant for all of us. So let me outline the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus was entering Jericho. He was passing through. And there was a man there named Zacchaeus. And he was chief tax collector. And he was a wealthy man. And he wanted to see Jesus, to see who he was. So he joined the crowd. But he couldn't see because he was short. So he couldn't see Jesus. So he ran into the distance climbed a sycamore fig tree, and uh, Jesus was coming in that direction, so he ran ahead, and he thought he could see Jesus from there. And sure enough, Jesus arrived at that very point. And he looked up, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I want to, I must stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus came down in an instant. And gladly welcomed Jesus. And all the crowd who saw this started to mutter and mumble. He's gone to stay in the house of a sinner. And Zacchaeus, either in front of the crowd, we don't know, or maybe back at his house uh, after he'd welcomed Jesus. And maybe there were crowds around the house as well to see what Jesus was doing. Zacchaeus it's recorded, stood up and said, look, Lord, here and now I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anyone of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house, for this man too is a son of Abraham. And Jesus went on to say, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is a story template that could be about each one of us. Change the name of the supporting character, change the location and the circumstances, the stature of the individual concerned, and maybe the time span, because this all happened in a very short time frame, change those things. And this could be my story. It could be your story. It could be the story of anyone on the planet. It's a story where Zacchaeus has to make three big decisions in quick succession. And it's the perfect illustration of God's saving grace in action. It's the perfect illustration of why Jesus came to earth to live amongst us. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And the context of this journey is very significant. Before setting out towards Jericho, we read in the previous chapter of Luke that Jesus gathered the 12 disciples together and he said to them, we're going to Jerusalem and there what the prophets foretold will be fulfilled. The Son of Man 
will be handed over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked, he will be spat at, he'll be abused, he'll be flogged and he will be killed. And on the third day, he will rise again. And of course, the disciples couldn't grasp what that was about at the time. But just illustrate, so Jesus is traveling from that place through Jericho en route to Jerusalem, 18 miles away. And the next recorded event in Luke's gospel is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday. So within just over a week of this story, Jesus would die on the cross. And that's what makes it a really poignant story. In Luke's gospel, Zacchaeus is one of the last named people that Jesus spoke to outside of the the passion story. Zacchaeus was a tax collector and was wealthy. And the Romans used to uh, auction off the rights to collect taxes from individual regions of the empire. They subcontracted it to the local people so that the local people took the blame, in effect. And wealthy bidders would bid for the rights to collect taxes from the local people and people passing through on the trade routes. And uh, they would charge them and they would pay their dues to the Roman Empire. And whatever they made in addition to that, they would keep for themselves. And that's how they accrued their wealth. They overcharged people and accrued wealth that way. Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. He would have other people working for him. So he was a wealthy man. So the tax collectors were despised. They were despised because they collaborated with the Romans. They were despised, of course, because they collected taxes. They were despised because they cheated and overcharged people. Uh, and they were despised for who they were. And so walking around town would have been very difficult, one imagines, for a tax collector and would have been very difficult for Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus had a desire He wanted to see Jesus. Uh, Surely it was God's grace within him that was calling him out that day. But he had his first big decision to make. Do I put myself out to see Jesus? Uh, Possibly getting abused by the crowd? Or do I stay at home and make myself busy doing other things? And he decided, yes, he was going to go out. He was inquisitive, and he felt something inside him calling, maybe, to go out and see Jesus, so he went out. But many other people that day in Jericho could have stayed at home, couldn't they? Too busy, finding excuses, not going to quite put themselves out to see who Jesus was. And imagine if Zacchaeus hadn't have gone out there. You know, he might have lived a sad life, hated by many, uh, and lonely, and may have, have died a, a, a nasty death, who knows. But, and we may never heard of him again. But he did go out that day, and his name lives on as a consequence. So how do we live our lives? Do we respond to the calling of Jesus? Do we put ourselves out to meet Jesus? Or is it always on our terms? And for those who we share the gospel with, who don't believe themselves but are intrigued by our faith. This is the first big challenge and first big question they face. Do I put myself out to go and see who Jesus is? 
and risk being ridiculed or abused by people for doing it? Or do I stay at home? Now Zacchaeus was short and he couldn't see over the crowd. So he had another opportunity here to back out, to go home. Oh, well, all these tall people in front of me, I'm going home. I can't see him. You know, that's the end. So he could have, he could have used his physical, his physique as an excuse for not carrying on in his pursuit to see Jesus. But he didn't. He didn't allow his physique to compromise his search. In fact, his physique and his compromised physique is actually used by God. Because this story is so famous, I would argue, because he was short, because he couldn't just look over the crowd. If he'd have been six foot six, looked straight over the crowd, maybe Jesus would have just walked by. God used Zacchaeus' physique, his compromised physique, to, to enable him to see and meet Jesus, which is uh, an encouragement for all those short people. So he, he ran ahead. Well, yeah, and for us, do we let who we are get in the way of meeting Jesus? Do we let our shyness, our fears, our frailties, do we let those get in the way of meeting Jesus? Zacchaeus didn't. He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree because uh, uh, Jesus was going in that direction. So he, he saw where Jesus was going, climbed the tree. So inquisitive was he that he was willing to make himself a mockery in front of that crowd. Because he may have been a tax collector and much hated, but he would have been a senior member of the community there. But he wasn't afraid, ashamed, to climb the tree in order to see Jesus. The Pope, I'm in good company, the Pope preached on Zacchaeus last week, and he said in his sermon that the that Zacchaeus overcame the paralysis of shame. The paralysis of shame. He didn't allow his shame to get in his way of his pursuit of Jesus. And then Jesus reached that spot. And this is an incredible encouragement, I think, right there. Jesus reached that spot. Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, and Jesus came to him. He reached that spot. And that's a real encouragement for everybody who's seeking Jesus today. Wherever you are, whenever you're ready, whatever the circumstances, call out to Jesus and he will reach that spot. And he'll be there for you. And he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus. He probably never met the guy before, probably never heard of him, but he knew his name. He called him by his name. Not only did he know his name, but surely he knew his occupation. He knew where he lived. He knew what the people thought about him. He knew whether he was a cheat or not in collecting taxes. You have searched me, Lord. You know me, the psalmist wrote. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. That's how well Jesus knew Zacchaeus. And that's how well he knows us. Jesus saw past Zacchaeus' sin and into his heart, which was open at that moment to the grace of God. And Jesus looked up to him and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. 
I must stay in your house today. Jesus didn't want to just shake Zacchaeus' hand in the street. He didn't want this to be a brief encounter where Zacchaeus was healed. He wanted to share precious time with him. He wanted to be in the heart of his family, in his home, and not just out on the street. And Jesus could have been forgiven that day, one week away from his rendezvous with the cross, for having other things on his mind, for being too preoccupied, too busy to make that time for Zacchaeus, but he didn't. Zacchaeus, today I must spend time at your house. I must visit your house. Jesus, this was the most important thing for Jesus. I must spend time at your house. And Jesus doesn't just want to brush, have a brush with us every Sunday in church. He wants to be at our house, in our house, in our homes. He wants to live with us in our places of sanctuary. He wants to be our haven. He wants to be our refuge in prayer. Jesus would go on to tell his disciples a few days later, according to John's gospel, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. We will come to them and make our home with them. So Zacchaeus is up at the tree. Jesus asks to go to his house today. Big decision number two. Do I stop in the tree or do I welcome Jesus into my life? He could have looked round and said, no, no one here called Zacchaeus. Or he could have said to Jesus, not me, Jesus, I'm not worthy. Or he could have said to Jesus, Jesus, what about the local rabbi over there? Surely he's more pious. Surely he's the type of person that you want to spend time with. Not me. Or he might have been thinking to himself and saying, no, can't come today, Jesus. The house is a mess. I haven't dusted. I haven't hoovered. I haven't shopped. I haven't got anything in. Uh, my wife wouldn't agree to this if she, if she knew. Uh, he could, all those things could have been going through his mind. Excuses for not meeting with Jesus. But maybe Zacchaeus realized very quickly there was nothing that Jesus didn't know about him. And so resistance was futile. Or maybe, maybe he had the confidence to say yes and to welcome Jesus gladly. Because maybe he knew the words of the psalmist who wrote, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Isn't it great when people have got the confidence to declare that as truth? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. How many of us would welcome Jesus with that confidence? We're fearfully and wonderfully made. You come in, Jesus. Take me as you find me. Well, how many of us would be nervous, worried, fearful, a little uneasy, feeling completely unworthy? Well, we can take heart from Zacchaeus. And the other thing, most likely actually, was that with this offer, this outreach of pure love to Zacchaeus, like he would not be experiencing from anybody else, he saw that this was his one shot 
at redemption. And all the people in the crowd saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, the Jews make themselves ritually, ritually impure if they go into the house of a sinner. But Jesus is purity himself. But maybe the crowd didn't realize that. So to the Pharisees, Zacchaeus would have been amongst the worst of the sinners. He wouldn't have been allowed to worship in the synagogue. He wouldn't have been allowed to worship with others. Yes, he was a sinner, but so is everyone else in the eyes of God. But the crowd judged Zacchaeus perhaps more rigorously than they would choose to, to judge themselves. In fact, we're tempted to do that, aren't we? We're tempted to judge others more than we judge ourselves. And the crowd wasn't only judging Zacchaeus, actually. They were judging Jesus as well, criticizing his, you know, his judgment. You know, going to make himself impure in the house of a sinner. But, as Pope Francis put it last week, Jesus doesn't halt before bygone evil, but sees future good. He doesn't halt before the sins of the past. He sees the potential in the future, future good. But the crowd didn't see that. The crowd didn't see that. And we have to be careful not to limit the potential of God's grace to save by our own narrow perspectives. Zacchaeus had to overcome the prejudice of the crowd to get to Jesus. And we, are we like the crowd today? holding some to be greater sinners and maybe, you know, alienating those people who are different or putting barriers in the way of, of others for reaching Jesus. Let's be a vehicle of God's saving grace and not a hindrance to it by our prejudices. And then either in that moment in the crowd or probably back at his house with crowds outside, Jesus, Zacchaeus stood up and said, Look, Lord, today, here and now, I will give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll repay them four times the amount. Zacchaeus made big decision number three. How do I respond to Jesus' calling? How do I respond to the mutterings of the crowd? Should I carry on the way I am, comfortable, wealthy? Or should I repent? Should I shake off my sin that is a burden on my back? And the first notable thing is Zacchaeus called Jesus Lord. You know, in a matter of minutes, Two hours at the most, Jesus had gone from a figure of uh, interest and inquisitiveness to Lord of Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus wasn't buying redemption. He already had that. Jesus called him down for the tree. He responded. He was redeemed. But he wanted to repent. And so he was willing to give half of his wealth to the poor. Right there at that moment. 
That is the extraordinary transforming nature of Jesus' love. Zacchaeus wanted to repent and shake off the burden of guilt and sin that was on his shoulders and to free himself from that for once and for all. And the irony is Zacchaeus in Hebrew means pure or innocent. And that must have been a source of ridicule or incredulity for the crowds, for the people of Jericho who were taxed by him and who knew him. But in the hands of Jesus and through God's grace, he was made pure that day. And Zacchaeus offered to pay anyone he cheated of anything up to four times that amount. And in our reading a while ago in Leviticus, You know, it was written into the law for Moses that anybody should pay back the amount plus 20%. The amount plus 20%. Zacchaeus would be willing to pay back 400%. Such is the transforming nature of Jesus' abundant love. And if you go back to chapter 18 of Luke, the previous chapter, just before Jesus sets out on his final journey to Jerusalem, he meets the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler says to him, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you must keep the commandments. You know the commandments, you must keep them. And he says, this I have done since my childhood. And Jesus looked into his heart, into his circumstances and said, then give everything you have to the poor. You'll get your reward in heaven and follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he was wealthy and he wasn't willing to sacrifice his wealth for the love of Jesus. But contrast that with Zacchaeus' response in this moment. Zacchaeus was willing to give up half his wealth and repay all the ills. How much do we love Jesus compared to everything else in our lives? How much do we love Jesus compared to everything else in our lives? If we put him first, if we put him in the number one slot, salvation is ours. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And in 2 Corinthians it says, anyone who believes in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Zacchaeus was a new creation. The old had gone and the new had come. And Jesus concluded by saying, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is why there's so much rejoicing in heaven when one lost sheep is found. This is why there would have been so much rejoicing in heaven in that moment when Jesus declared salvation for Zacchaeus. Jesus had stopped, he'd taken the time with Zacchaeus and he'd fulfilled his mission. And there were many witnesses there that day to the saving grace of Jesus. A little over a week later, Jesus paid the ultimate price to make that salvation available to all of us, to everyone in the world forever, dying on the cross. It was 
and continues to be Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. And that's why this template story could be about each one of us. Change the name, change the location, change the circumstances, change the time span and the stature of the individual. And this could be your story, it could be my story, it could be any the story of any person on the planet. So it's a story worth remembering and sharing.